All right. It's nighttime, and you know what that means for me. More coffee. It's going to be a long... This is Kofo Live and Undead. I am your host, Daniel Crozier, and I am joined by the amazing Milko Davis. good love that intro (laughs) thanks uh i I like getting splashed with shit so you know (laughs) (laughs) as you know i think uh some of uh, the people in your films do as well i a lot of times yes 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 Milko, uh, thanks for for uh, joining us uh you know for for everybody that's out there had a few technical issues and uh you know We've got uh, Milko in voice only, uh, joining us. Very omnipresent of sorts, right? Right. Unfortunately, technology on my side's limited. <laughs> and yet, yet, I want to do all those visual effects. I get that, but I can't understand a small computer. So <laughs> that's okay. I I have the same problem over here. I can I, I can draw digitally, but uh, you know as as uh, your wife and I found out, uh, I still have some limitations and some learning myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, all that technical stuff. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Milko, for for everybody that's not familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and, and how you got into filmmaking? I, it could be a long answer, so I'm going to try to put it in a nutshell. <laughs> I was born in Zurich, Switzerland. Oh, wow. Uh, lived in Europe till about age seven and a half. Okay. Um, I, my whole family tend, they, they actually had kind of like the essence of art. Mm-hmm. Like my uncle could carve wooden ships and put them in a bottle. I still try to figure out how he did that. Wow. But you know, where you car- you know, you can carve out a ship and then pull the masts up yeah. into the bottle. So, you know, they're all creative. And I think I just picked it up through a bloodline of relatives. Because by the time I moved to California, I was already, like, we had flown on a Lufthansa, which is an airline, from yeah. Europe to uh, California. And I had, by the time we landed in LAX, and mind you, I'm like seven and a half, right? Yeah. I had drawn pictures for the captain of the plane, for the waitress or the stewardesses, and probably almost over half the en- entire, you know, flight, the recipients of the flight. So they were, they were all getting Milko Davis pictures. And I was like seven. I was already drawing and stuff. I was already enamored with art by that time. But film hit me pretty quick when I got into California. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what sparked me, and it was ironic because I watched a movie about the Fablemans with Spielberg. 
I don't oh, know. Right. Yeah. That there's something really like crazy when I was watching that film. I don't know if you'd seen the film. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, not yet. There was uh without ruining it, there there was a moment where Spielberg was pulled into cinema because he had seen a movie that was made in the fifties. I don't know if can we name drop movies sure. and stuff? Okay. You um you know, it's called the greatest uh show on earth. Right. In the fifties. Yeah. And um, you know, uh Spielberg was drawn in. It was like so big and powerful to him. And he was like six years old. And that's what sparked his interest in cinema at that young age. Well, here I am, seven and a half. Um, I think this is about a few months after we had moved uh to California, and my my family, they had friends, and I, I hung out with my Younger friends, we went to see a movie called The Poseidon Adventure. Oh, right. Nice. Which is at the old, and I remember feeling the same way they depicted Spielberg feeling when he saw The Greatest Show on Earth. Because yeah. I was like blown away, a traumatized and blown away at the same time. And I think that's what sparked my interest right there. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What, what a great film. The original Poseidon Adventure. Oh, it's like phenomenal. Yeah. It, it yeah, way ahead of its time. If you look, it's like you know that was done in like seventies, early seventies. Yeah, so, something like that. It's like seventy one, maybe. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And to find out a capsized ship was a miniature that they used. As right. time went on, I I wanted to know why that movie had such a an anchor, no pun intended, <laughs> on me, and it was like, yeah, you know, they use miniature everything. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was enamored by uh, Spielberg and Lucas, and it just so happens the muse, uh, the uh, composer of Poseidon Adventure was John Williams. Oh. So all the dots connected because it's like Spielberg, Spielberg, Lucas, yeah. all these things were just the tapestry of what I try to pursue, you know, later on in life. Right. Wow, that's awesome. You know what? What a uh, great movie to really you know spark your interest and, and uh, you know kind of uh, help ignite that uh, creative flame. Yeah, that was awesome. That's so and, cool. Yeah, and you you can't comprehend when you're that young because it was more of an adult driven movie. Right. What I think the impact it had on me was it was real, and it wasn't. It was all fiction, but still, to yeah. this day, I remember how I felt when I saw that. So. That's that's cool. When did you first uh, make your your uh, attempt into uh, producing your own uh, projects? So I think it was like a early or late seventies. My dad, same thing, like in the Fableman. This is crazy, man. Yeah. My dad had a little Bell and Howell eight millimeter camera. Not that old, okay, but yeah, it's it, it was you know still film time. But so that eight millimeter camera had a, a single frame option on it and I did a claymation on a tabletop. My dad pulled the trigger of the camera and I think it was a caveman and a brontosaurus. Just, it was terrible, right? I didn't know what I was doing, but that, I think that was the very first time I touched the camera. I said, all right, the, uh, the animation part was my dad. My dad was a military man, but at that point he had, he had some patience for my interest in film at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so 
he kind of got involved. He was a technical engineer. And he said, this is how animation is done. So he kind of held my hand through the process and, nice. you know, shot the first roll of film. Wow, that's cool. Hey, what a neat experience, too, for, like, you know, father and son uh, to have. Yeah. Uh, was this something that uh, he kind of stepped away from later on? So it's 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 interesting. Like, every story has its own path, right? right. Um, my my dad was a pilot in the Air Force, and he was an engineer, worked for Hughes Aircraft. Um, he was just driven by numbers and science. Um, so he was there uh, early days, but then he saw my interest just getting devoured by this, you know, because it was always film, film, film. Everything or every road I'd drive down with my mom, I'd be like squinting my eye open, capturing visions of everything because my my visions were about film now it was no longer just seeing with my eyes yeah a, a normal day it was through the the lens of a camera and they were both kind of getting concerned because i became to this day it's a very lonely business you make a movie and you're trapped in a room putting it together a very lonely thing you know um but back then i don't know where i was going with this whole thing but um where were we going? I lost track when I when I shot off there with it. Uh, yeah, I was just asking you, you know, if um, if that was uh, something that your your dad kind of stepped away from uh, a little bit later. Yeah, you know, my dad, like I said, he was a pilot yeah. in the Air Force, and that's kind of what he groomed me towards. Oh, okay. Um, and I didn't want to do it. And we owned two planes, and I go flying with him during weekends, and oh, I just didn't want it. Yeah, I wanted Star Wars. I wanted yeah. close encounters. <laughs> yeah. I wanted that. So, yeah, we kind of butted heads there at the end. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was 18. Oh, I'm sorry. Because then I kind of lost interest in everything altogether as teenagers do, young adults. Yeah. And uh, what captivated me getting back into it was years later with another claymation that I did that Ooh. actually surprisingly made a lot of money and it was crazy how that happened okay. but it's weird how that's the first thing i did was claymation and then cool. what brought me back into it when i got serious about it was a claymation and stop motion animation yeah yeah that that's such a tedious art form too so to have that have those as your your points of entry into filmmaking I, I i find that absolutely you know remarkable it's it's an art right it's yeah. and it's unique and it's been perfected and they still do they still do it mm -hmm. in fact my latest film that you haven't seen is called ghosters oh yeah yeah with uh, keith uh heine right Keith heine he's uh he's like a brother to me now yes and, you know we've been in a few projects together nice and he was uh the lead in um, the, you know, the starring role in uh, Ghosters, Phantom Patrol. Cool. But what happened was, um, so we never intended to do a, we, we were going to do something of an animated portion of that film mm -hmm. or the credits, some fun stuff. We ended up having to do it where they went through a portal in the movie and mm -hmm. the father son turned into like stop motion characters. 
So I had to build a caricature of Heath and this um, young actor named Arthur Gazera, Gazaria, I think. Okay. We had to do it because, so we shot that movie during the pandemic. We had a lot of uh, break points where we had to stop. Oh, okay. And uh, the unfortunate thing was when we'd stop, time keeps moving on. Yep. And when, you know, I spoke to Arthur's mom, she said, yeah, he kind of grew up a little. He didn't grow up a little. He grew up another foot. Oh, changed. <laughs> so the only option we had was creatively, they go through a time warp and they're in a animated world. Okay. So I found ah. myself doing the, the one frame at a time thing again. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but, but you know, it, it's, it's those types of, uh, you know, limitations that, that breed so much innovation, right? Yeah. I, I would have to agree. Limitations like low budget is great because you've become very creative. Yeah. You know, how many times have you seen a movie like, you know, like Blair Witch Project, which is shot mm-hmm. for minuscule amount of money. And then the same guys a few years later were dropped like a few million to make uh, their second version of Blair Witch and just drop the ball. Right. <laughs> so sometimes that chokehold is good for creativity. Yeah, it really you know forces you to have to focus, have to plan, you know, map everything out. Um, you know, and, and in there is somewhere in there is is you know just pure magic. You know, it doesn't doesn't hit for everybody, but um, it, it sounds like it certainly hit for for you, especially you know doing claymation. And, and to be fair, if if Heath Heine is made into a claymation character, uh, there's no medium more appropriate for that guy. I know <laughs> he's like a chameleon you know, he can really like I told him like the latest movie we're making is called killer witches from outer space. Uh, yes. And I, I was talking to my uh, friend and uh, yours too, uh Bobby Lee black. Uh, yes. About that. Yeah. He was the one that put us in touch. Yes. Uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, yeah. Tell us more about that. Cause he said the way he described it, it just sounded delightfully bonkers. Yeah, you know, and then that's kind of the trailblazing I set forward because so you, early on you you get in as a hobby, right? Right. It's usually what film is is it's it's a hobby. If that interest is driven towards like uh, heavy passion, I guess the better the better word to use is obsession. Okay, it becomes yeah. an obsession, and you have to do it you can't just make movies and not have a job. Right. So artists have to end up doing the starving artist thing. I get it. And we all do it, but you have to decide, are you, and this is a really divided line. Are you a filmmaker? Or are you in the film business? Mm, the okay. only way to make it in this industry to understand how the business rolls. And unfortunately it's a very painful one, but I had to go from art to understanding business, which is a lot of waking hours of not just being creative, but reading into and experiencing the bumps and bruises you get in the business itself. So, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, you, you, um, yeah, yeah. Ended up having some, uh, some troubles, you know, with that, it sounds like you had some, some hard lessons, to have to learn there there 
they're destructive, you know, and we can get further into this. Right. Um, I think what I reflect on, like when I watch the Fablemans with Spielberg, he had a dream. This was a child with, with vision and he yeah. was probably meant to be behind the camera. Everybody can feel like they were meant to be a singer, to be a firefighter, whatever. Right. Right. I think the problem that, that exists is one, you have to be tenacious. Mm-hmm. You have to have a drive. Yeah. Um, I frequently say that the film business is like a Navy SEAL program. So if you're willing to stick through it, mm-hmm. you could probably make it. Maybe not exactly how you imagine it. But it, it again, it's like a long road learned, right? A long lesson learned. The bumps and bruises that you get kind of tear apart that childhood dream that made you want to get into it. Yeah. And some people, like I was talking to Heath Heine today about this was how many first time filmmakers will never do it again. And one out of those 10 could have been the next Spielberg, but were dumped on so bad that they would just never even want to go back. You know? Yeah. Wow. It, 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 it's, it's such a you know, tough medium. And, and then, you know, the fact too, like, you know, just doing a production usually takes, yeah, even even on uh, you know big budget to small budget, you you've got you know teams of people that you have to coordinate and and, and work with, but then on on the commerce side of, of everything too, to also be bombarded by those restraints um, is so you know tremendously you know cumbersome and yeah, it's it sounds it, it could be disheartening and, and uh, soul grinding. Absolutely. I'm like, what you're saying just echoes, right? It's, it's exactly what you're saying. Right now, what the weird thing is the world has changed in the dynamics of an old model that was theatrical television and Blu-ray or VHS. Yeah. Those days are gone. Now you have streaming. This Everything has evolved into like a digital delivery stage where people can click a button right. and watch a movie right away. Right. Um, and there's so much content out there that it's actually not healthy because it's diluting the value of film. So, like, I'm not trying to stomp on us young, you know, us uh, small time filmmakers that I call uh, Smollywood, you know, like the okay. small okay. little films. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even categorize as micro budget. I think. <laughs> think micro budget was like a quarter of a million dollars and that's considered micro budget. Yep. Yeah. I made films for a couple of quarters and a buck. So I don't even know how that's categorized. Yeah. I, I totally understand. I, uh, I directed a feature film once and uh, I spent $400. It was all on purposes. Well, and that's a, that's a product. Now you have a product. You have a fee. Is that a, that, I interview you and ask you right now did you 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 have that released obviously right um yeah we we did uh we did a theatrical screening or two and then um i kind of shelved it put it on vimeo and uh -hmm. so that's that's the only real distribution i had and then um uh trauma you know lloyd kaufman picked it up so and i'm you know i know i'm not going to see any money uh you know from it and that's fine for me, that's fine. Um, but, uh, but that was, that was my experience. And it's like, yeah, if somebody else can, can watch it, you know, I'm fine with that. 
but but I also know that uh, I've had friends that similar to you that have just been grinded by you know distributors like you know bigger uh, distributors with supposed reach and, and everything and and just sign unfortunate deals um, yeah. and and to have their art taken away from them. It it's it's that's the painful side of it, you know. And of course, you can always do the way to say, hey, I'll self-distribute, you know, and, right. and those options are all there. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a gentleman I spoke to, his name's Jeff Deverett. Mm. Um, and I actually booked some time to talk to him saying, what am I doing wrong? You know, and right. well, how can I make it? Because I really want to do this. And first thing is I'm in my fifties. And he said, well, first, you know, you are kind of an older guy. And, and I don't believe that. I don't think age has, anything to do with with a successful range and what you want to do right i think a lot of people have their own stories like you have made a movie i have made a movie many people have made movies so i think uh the more you make it either the more you break it or the more you succeed at it and i think it took me all about seven films to start figuring it out because okay. those deals those contracts you sign with Let's let's get rid of the word distribution. There, okay. I think there are distributors. I work with one right now, who's an actual distributor, not a carpet salesman. Okay, and it's a really good company. Yeah, I've done well with them. Um, I'm keeping names and brands out of this, you know. But okay. my thing was, the ones prior to were, uh, uh, I guess, a bait and hook. They they sign you on. Mm. And the thing is, is you got to think about these new companies are aggregates. They're librarians. They they sell based on volume. They yeah. So like for anybody, if I were to give a warning flag or a red flag for any what they consider distribution is an aggregate where it's a basically a platform that you deliver. What they do is they sign you on and they deliver to basically what you could do by yourself the problem is we don't have the reach that they have yeah they have more connections but they're doing the same thing that you and i would do right and the thing is is when they get these films on their platform um they can shop that movie to one country for a streaming contract for like 500 bucks and mm -hmm. it's like wow well that's they wouldn't do that because they couldn't survive. They can survive, and I'll tell you why. They are librarians of three to 400 features that are making residuals. They can sell your movie for 50 bucks. It, see, it no longer, they don't evaluate your sweat equity into it. What they evaluate is right. their bottom line. So every movie makes about 60000 that they pick up without effort. They don't have to pay for advertising or anything. It's just straight to streaming or payouts uh, payable from uh, advertising because they have enough um, hits on their channel. So since that time, I've been pursued legally by one company as I, I touched a fresh spot that they don't want people to know about. So that is a big issue I'm dealing with right now on a, on a past film I worked on. Okay. That is the dark side is this is not just them ripping you off. This is kind of them coming back at you with knives out. Jeez. So I'm letting people 
through your show. And I've, I've been talking to other people. Like I have a friend, Tron Simpson, who's on the radio. And we've done the table talk about this weird distribution, which is, that's why I call it like the occult. Oh. These guys are out for quick cash. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, 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 it seems so uh, counterproductive because, you know, if, yeah, as a, dis- a distributor and, and, you know, representative of that, that film that, uh, you know, they've, they've either bought or are under contract, you know, with you, right. Yeah. Um, you know, to make the most of it, get as much money and also maintain that relationship with you by, you know, going, uh, you know, um, above and beyond as best they can, you know, obviously, you know, some of them are maybe smaller, but yeah, you know, they, if they have multiple films, it's like, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, put that much more, you know, effort and even, you know, even their own equity into it, into doing the ads uh, and, and promoting and stuff just to to build that brand. So it, it sounds like they're just fine with, that little amount but it it's a it's a key point and i'll i'll bring in this this is a mass exodus of creative marketing um have you ever heard of the i'm most may have heard of this show in vegas they hold once a year it's the nab which is the national broadcasting something yep so they they show all the new trades tricks whatever they got mm-hmm. you know new cameras potential right you know so i've never been to one myself but there's a gentleman out in la that is also a filmmaker does some pretty cool stuff um he you know he's a uh, part of the family that is also in uh, entertainment law yeah he told me that they had gone to this individual i'm talking about um, I'm not name dropping because I didn't really suggest I was going to do it, but he went out to Vegas, went to the NAB, and then wouldn't you know it, downstairs, this gigantic uh, meeting room set up with hundreds of chairs, and all these distributors from all around the world go there. And he said he went in, vetted himself as one of them. Yeah. And I'll tell you what happened. This is where it, this gets real creepy. This is kind of like the Bilderberg effect of this small filmmaking environment. Okay. I go down there, the only thing they talked about was creative marketing and creative contracts. Mm. Nothing about promoting or pushing movies forward. What kind of, there was no interest. It's just accumulating your content, my content, bringing it in. Um, Why would they do that? by just drawing because there is hardly any effort except to make sure that you're legally cleared. Um, I'm not saying to be a scam artist, but they, they have found and managed a way to basically with a click of a button, right. Take your film and say, Oh, you have to go through, um, you have to go through a QC process, but we're going to, you're going to have to pay for that. You're going to have to pay for color correction or whatever. So there's no risk. And if they make 50 bucks only off of your film, they made 50 bucks. It didn't cost them anything. That's the weirdness of this whole thing. And your film festivals are the same. 
Yeah. 20 years ago, you could enter your film if you were lucky enough to get in. There were a handful of film festivals that right. were righteous. They would put your film, you could potentially sign deals. Now they have over 5,000 film festivals. You and I could open one up, collect right. cash, and just pick a film and say they won, but you just made $60,000 for your run. Yeah. I, um, uh, we, we've, uh, you know, uh, on, on my end, we've got uh, Colorado Festival of Horror, which, you know, uh, Live and Undead is, is uh, yeah, a part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been approached a couple of times like, hey, you should have a, a film festival component. My response has always been, God, that sounds like an awful lot of work. <laughs> I don't have the time to, to sit and watch everybody's movie. I'd, I'd much rather, you know, uh, talk to people like you and, and watch your films, you know, in particular. But but yeah, you're right. Um, you know, there there's a bit of a saturation of that. And it is a, a bit of a, a, an easy way to make a quick buck. Well, you know, and my thing to clear the air, mm-hmm. I'm not slamming on every aggregate or every distributor or every film right. festival. Right, right, right. Because I've worked with film festival actually called me up saying, hey, can we play your film? Yeah. And it's like, well, that, that that's actually great if you're filmmakers, you get exposure, right? Um, right? It could be one of those festivals that gain a lot of momentum. Are there others that are just like, you know, on the boondocks where you know, maybe three people show up to watch your film. Right. Um, right. And it could be an honest Joe that just loves film and wants to, but a lot of them have become like online thresholds where they collect a lot of cash. Yeah. They send out a lot of promises. You could go and surf the YouTubes or YouTube yeah. and find all the horror stories of people that spent more money going out to, to uh, support their own film than actually benefiting from the film, the, uh, festival but yeah i you know i i haven't uh i've i've you know uh heard of uh some of my friends that have been in that situation you know with my film i never did that um i i submitted to uh film festivals i never got in i was like well imagine all the money i'm saving (laughs) from from not going out there uh i did however have to spend money to submit but you know at least back then it wasn't uh like you know what it was now uh, in some entries is some entry fees are, are pretty small, like 20 bucks here, 20 bucks there. But um, you know, the, some of the larger ones, that's definitely not the case. Um, but uh, I, I would, from my experience too, I would personally equate it to like going to a comic book convention. Um, we, I, you know, my girlfriend and I, uh, we produce uh, comic books and uh, you know, you, you have to, yeah, I mean, you produce the comic, you self publish and everything, and then you've got to pay anywhere from, I don't know, you know, 300 and up for uh, a table. Uh, some of the local shows though, you know, 75, maybe a little bit more, but, uh, but you already have that overhead. And then if you're traveling and you have to stay there, and you're only selling like comic books, you know, five dollars a pop. You 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 really do have to like sell out if if you bring like a thousand of them to all of a sudden pay for your weekend. Well, that you know, I'm for. I just want to say bravo if you're doing like comic book. That that's fantastic. That that is like really cool. Thanks. Um, 
Yeah, I know like sci-fi conventions, you know, back in the day they had Star Trek conventions, which slowly faded into. So that little claymation that I did was a Star Trek spoof called Star Trek Zone. It was kind of like Twilight Zone meets Captain Kirk and Captain Picard, you know, and we did this stop motion. It was like 17 minutes long. And um, I got tapped, double tapped by Paramount Pictures. Um, so what happened was I, I didn't get it, right? I just yeah. wanted to do something fun. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't expecting money. And we made, man, that thing made over 70 grand, that little oh. 17 wow. film, which the hey, I I had to sign. They used to have a company called Media Play out here where I where they would allow independents to sell their music and their videos just in their, you know, uh, local artist bin. Right. Well, so they said, oh, this is, I forgot what her name was, Margaret or something. Real nice gal. Mm-hmm. You got something here. Hey, if you could package these, just bring me in 50. Well, they sold out in the first week. And I'm like, this is before YouTube. So right. priorities on film were like the big thing because not many people were doing it. Yeah. We're also talking like mid nineties. Right. Right. So the weird thing was that I, I found out of all things, a kind of a drop ship distribution where you have to package it and fulfill their orders that right. they sell. And I remember a buddy of mine, this when we had a fax machine that would get the orders and the acquisitions, uh, not acquisitions, but uh, purchase orders. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd get like a order to uh, candy cane, music land, whatever for like 5,000 copies. I'm sitting there at night doing VHS dubs. So I was able to afford multiple VHSs. So I'd be like dubbing all this stuff uh, over like master copying them. Right. To save money. And I'd have to ship these out to the distributor to get them to the stores. So when I calculate after a year of doing that, we made 70 grand on a little stop motion film. Wow. they kept on saying, do you know how crazy this, the distributor was telling me name of the distribution company was called tapeworm express. And somebody <laughs> said, I wouldn't go with a company like that. Well, they must've been okay. Tapeworms. Cause you know, 70 grand ain't, you know, back in the nineties, especially. Yeah. But the, the thing is that, um, having had that experience was before I even knew it was mm-hmm. the business side of it. Right. Right. Now that's all washed away um, with that because people just download stuff. Right. So value of film, like what you did or what I'm doing, that's the networking. You have to figure out, A, the person that's going to sell or rep your film. Mm-hmm. You have to vet them. You just yeah. have, to, you have to know them because you can't trust anybody anymore, you know? Right. Right. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. And uh, for any you know, young and up, up and coming filmmakers, you know, to consider, you know, uh, go to your sources, uh, that'll get referrals too. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Um, here's a stinger story for you. That's just happened in the last week. Okay. Um, there was a gentleman that made a movie out here about four years ago. And first-time filmmaker is well off, and he thought he'd try it out. And he actually, I saw um, 
his work and was like really impressed, like way ahead of me when I started. So he's just probably one of those guys that really like figures out how to do stuff, you know, mm -hmm. um, had uh, shopped his film to have it signed over by some company out there. I'm not going to mention that was for the filmmakers by the filmmakers. He was yeah. the guy that ran the shop was a filmmaker at one point. And what you and I are talking about, all the uh, dark passages of this stuff. Right. Had decided, well, I'm going to fight for us. I'm going to open a company and we're all going to benefit. Mm. So he signed on multiple films. I don't know how many, <clears throat> quite a few. And had sold out two years later to a bigger company. And basically, we don't know, but it seems like to me, he sold the whole entity of all those films with it. Oh, shit. Money, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, man, that's right. <clears throat> uh, on a different note, uh, looks like Heath just chimed in. Yes. Hello, guys. Hi, Milko. <laughs> Hello. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we've got uh, you know, Michael that uh, chimed in commenting on independent films. Uh, innovations, offset budgets, uh, original scripts, and uh, are not, uh, you know, focus grouped. So that's, yeah, I'd imagine you, you probably haven't uh, run into anything like that where, you know, film uh, is necessarily made by committee. Yeah, it's, it's always you, right? Yes. Nice. And I keep it, I keep it that way because it's, um, it's, it's too uh, dramatic. Yeah, at a, low, at a small level, if somebody said I need twenty grand to make a movie, hmm. I'd say save up for it, do it on your own. It's not, yeah. worth it. it's not worth the, the right. ink on paper and the anger and the the drama that goes with it. You know, right? Well, and and to be fair, you know, the decision making's what you and your wife, right? Because she's, uh, you know, sometimes your your co producer. She. She becomes like the executor and does great casting. Nice. She casted Heath for me and a lot of good people. And she's done a lot of good work. She doesn't give herself enough credit. And, and I, where I pretend I'm like just a genius. <laughs> and I'm not. But yeah. And, and Heath keeps jumping for attention here. Yeah. Captain of uh, his own ship. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Heath. Uh, no, that's that's awesome. You know, uh, obviously, my introduction to your work is, you know, Jurassic, uh, you know, Thunder. And I, I just watched, I just mentioned that uh, I, I watched it again, uh, you know, earlier today. I absolutely enjoy that. That is the most fun, ridiculous movie I've, you know, I, I see um, or I've seen, you know, in, in at least the last few months. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the first time I saw it, uh, I think, um, oh, my friend, uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, Kayan, who, uh, wasn't he, uh, your, your comic book artist for, uh, uh, Thunder? I, I think so. I think yeah, so, yes. Still. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, I ran into him at a uh, comic book show and he mentioned, Oh, I did the uh, storyboards for this thing. I'm like, yeah. And he showed me some, some JPEGs and I'm like, dude, these are amazing. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? 
yeah, you know, he was he was doing some sketches and stuff. And it's like, why are you not advertising that you did uh, work for this movie? So, so he turned me on to that. It was because of him that I, I watched it the first time, and it, it was so fun and and just silly. But when we were off camera, you were mentioning, or before we went live, uh, you were mentioning that you know, was it that film that that you really cut your teeth learning? Uh, some of the ins and outs on on the craft. Yeah, you think at that point um, is it? I think that was the first time Heath and I had walked worked together. Okay, nice. And um, prior to that, I had done. Believe it or not, I had done three films. Well, actually, four films before that. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I I think the first one was a lucky shot. It was called Tsunami, so it was like Sharknado. <laughs> you know. Nice. That was uh, what I call a beer bet movie. I don't drink beer, but we call it a beer bet movie because it was done for virtually nothing. And, you know, we put a faith-based element to it. And I got just trolled so bad when that movie released. We actually made a little money where the actors actually pulled some cash back. We did too. Cool. Cool. Fine. Um, You know, we lucked out with a decent rep. That was honest. But again, the... I think I went to film school, right? And I didn't learn anything but history of film there. So my schooling started. Ooh. Like like, uh, Kathy and I have been married about 10 years. Um, When when I got together with her and we were talking, I I told her I was going to be a pilot, right? And that never happened. Because my dad was, you know, it was just a joke. I always say, like, when I'm in trouble and she wants to scream at me, I'll go like, oh, I'm a pilot. Like, no, but it doesn't. She never screams at me. Um, but she didn't know that I love film. And had she probably known, she probably would have go, eh, I don't know about this guy. You're right. Right. But I did the first film, which was uh, when I re... Because I, I did a film before that called, uh, gosh, I keep on going back, Raiders of the Damned with Richard Grieco. Oh, nice. And then a, a movie with Richard Grieco... And learned a bunch of stuff about that. It's just pretty wild experience. <clears throat> then um, took a break, did Tsunami, then did another one called Jurassic Dead. Okay. Nice. And that was a wash. <laughs> and um, kept on doing it, but I'm learning more and more each time. Yeah. <clears throat> that my breakaway point was jurassic thunder because i had learned about storytelling and just quality you know trying to push oh got a little cough choking on my gum oh okay oh no (laughs) excuse me and for for those that uh are, are tuning in too uh this is the gentleman i've been talking to this handsome young fella Well, we'll keep this photo up for a little, little while, you know. Yeah. But uh, are you doing better? You're not choking? Yeah, okay. no, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, so so Jurassic uh, Thunder, uh, you, you learned uh, some, some key, uh, you know, uh, storytelling uh, elements and were able to apply them pretty successfully. Yeah, it, it just took time to learn. Like yeah. anything you do. You do better as time goes on. 
Yeah. Um, so I think during that time I got better at writing too, or I start picking up that, you know, story is important. So. Right. Right. That's, that's cool. And then, um, you know, yeah, now you're, you're working on, uh, well, you've got, uh, the, the new project with, uh, um, Keith, um, is, uh, uh, is that available? What was it? What was that one we called again? Uh, I'm having, uh, you know, oh, some, Ghost uh, that is called Ghost Ghost. Phantom Patrol. Yeah. Is, is that available already? It's, or It's uh, currently, it's in the market. It's in Berlin right now. And the ooh. reps are, I guess, negotiating deals. So that we should see those, that movie. Nice. Uh, streaming within the next few months. You know, okay. and I don't know yet where, um, but uh, I had also connected with them with a new feature that Heath was also in. Um, and that one is not finished yet, but we're going to market it the same way. Nice. Uh, through the same company, which is our company is Armageddon Films, but we're pretty tight with... Um, the company we're working with now that's releasing it, they've got good reps that, that are kind of like, they're as passionate to make money, mm -hmm. but as passionate to sell and show the movie off. So that's always a good, cool. you know. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a good combination, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and knowing that they have your back too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's favorable. Right. And you know, the killer witches from outer space is obviously, I think I was going to, when I said I was trailblazing uh, these crazy ideas, you know, these crazy titles like Tsunami and Classic mm -hmm. Dead. The reason I do that is, you know, I would love to make more intelligent films. You know, I love to do dramas, psychological right. thrillers. Right. The problem is when you have very little money, it's very hard to market comedy, mm -hmm. drama. It's got to be. It's got to fit within the genre that allows that expression of art at a low cost. Right. So I think that's why I just try to be as creative. You, you know, Killer Clowns for Outer Space is a big one in the 80s for me. Yep. Oh, that's and, a fun movie. Yeah. And honestly, the, so technically we weren't supposed to make Killer Riches from Outer Space yet. But right. it just so happened that we ended up doing it. I mean, just some crazy circumstances. But um, I, it was a joke, right? We were mm -hmm. telling a joke and say, oh, we should make a movie called Killer Witches from Outer Space. It's like, uh-oh, that's stuck. And we ended up writing it. Right. Kind of went back and forth with a script for yeah, about five months and then came up with a script and... The, the trick was that we were trying to keep it as a family-oriented uh, oh. adventure. So yeah. something I learned is, like, Ghosters has caught a lot of attention. Like, you can see the trailer on YouTube. Okay. Um, it is kind of like a different world for me now. So the cool thing is that kids' market is just huge. And if you can do a good family film that's not like Hallmark or Fairy Tale Land family, I'm just saying something right. where the whole family can sit and have like a 
fun romp at it. Right. That's that's a sweet spot. So I, it's weird. Killer Witches should be a horror film, but it's become more of a creepy. It's kind of like Goonies, you okay. know. So I kind of stick. I'm sticking with that. Just trying to tread water and see. Is this kind of like the genre I want to sit in right now? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, when it when it comes to like horror movies and stuff, I always prefer something that's fun over something that's grisly. Uh, and and uh, yeah, a lot of my go tos end up to be being those, you know, family horror films, or you know, at, at least back when we were growing up, you know, that was the case. You know, your Gremlins. Uh, yeah. You know your your uh, monster squad, um, and uh, you know the, those were so much fun. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely uh, not only a market, but I, th- I think there's you know a, a need for you know kind of better quality, um, you know genre family, you know films, it, films. Yeah, they don't have them, right? <clears throat> No, you don't have them. So I'm trying to see if this is because people change, right? So we're trying yeah. to see if this is the right way. Yeah. Well, you know, people change, tastes change. And, you know, now most of what you get is going to be like sanitized Disney esque, you know? Yeah. And it's like, hey, you know, you can you can do some pretty, uh, you know, fun, rough around the edges, you know, that, that doesn't have to be, you know, Something that that looks <clears throat> pristine and sanitized. Um, yeah. yeah, I was gonna bring up. Um, there's a <laughs> a movie that kind of stunned me. I was uh, going to watch a movie with my wife, and then you know, usually when you go down the the hallway, you look at posters of upcoming films. Yeah, yeah. And they get this poster right in front of my face, saying "Cocaine Bear." I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. That has got kids in it. It's, I've heard that it has kids and it's like horrifying, but at the same time appeals to like a Home Alone audience. I'm like, those are hybrid films that we get. Like I said, genre, people are in for rides. Maybe this is a new ride we don't know about. Right. Well, and and I think that, you know, like, like, you know, those, those kind of fun, absurdist films, uh, you know, I, I remember back when, uh, you know, superhero movies were the B films, you know, from the 70s and the 80s yeah. and even into the 90s. You know, I remember the uh, the Captain America, you know, from you know, the 70s, uh, you know, uh, driving around in his motorcycle with the, the bike helmet and everything and the, right. the like, flimsy uh, yeah. uh, PVC uh, um, see-through. Uh, you know, Shield, and then you know they didn't do much better with the the direct to DVD one from 1990, and uh, it, it's like, yeah, superheroes were kind of those B heroes. I mean, that's what Toxic Avenger is a nod nod to. You know, uh, it knew what it was, and it you know knew that that genre, and uh, yeah, but now those absurdist notions are like, you know, the global box office winners, right? They're the family films. They, they fit all the notches. And it wasn't too long ago when people would be like, Oh yeah, you know, don't, uh, yeah, this is too ridiculous to, to really work. And it's like, no, no. So, so, you know, hats off to stuff like cocaine bear and, and then, uh, you know, um, 
uh, you know, the witches movie when, when that comes out, you know, you know I think that um, what's weird right now is there's always a flux for independent film. Yeah. One true independent films usually have a few million to make a film. That's like an independent film. Right. Like the definition. Right. So then you have micro budget, zero budget. Yeah. Scaling all those numbers. And I think it really doesn't matter what, what kind of money you have. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing is it, does it entertain and does it sell? Right. And it right. doesn't matter at that time, whether you, you made it for $2,000 or $200 million. Yeah. Yeah. But the weird thing is, I think that people are now, it's kind of like Star Trek. Mm. It was a big Trekkie. And yes. that's why I did that claymation of Star Trek as a claymation. But yeah, you can't tell me, you would not, you could turn right or left and see a new episode of something Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Right. And it finally burned out. And right now, I think we're seeing this. Like Hollywood's worried because they've been banking on the streamline of Marvel movies. That's what makes the big bucks for them. Right. Starting to fade, just like yeah. the start. So where do you go from there? I think movies like Cocaine Bear. Yeah. You know, I think it's all the crazy because people are going to eventually, who knows? It could be like the gold rush of independent again. We don't know, but right, it's possible, you know? Uh, Heat's got a new pitch for you. Uh, let's make heroin badger. He don't give a fuck. <laughs> so, like, like Heath is becoming a writer and a producer. I, I think I think, uh, I think that we're we're having a creative meeting uh, live in front of everybody between Kathy, Heath, and yourself. You know. <laughs> uh, I get an associate producer uh, credit just because I'm in the room. I, you know that. So I. I just, I'm thinking about the, the amount of people that have helped me. Mm. Well, currently, when I write, I'll throw ideas at Heath, but I also work with a gentleman uh, by the name of Mike Moras. Michael Moras. Yes, and Michael. He's, Michael's here, too. He's He said, honey, bud, badger don't care. Yeah, he has helped me. We've known each other. Michael and I have known each other for about eight years now. And nice. so he's stuck yeah. with my craziness. He's stuck through it. But we're learning, right? We're becoming writers. Michael would edit ideas that I throw at him and rewrite. Um, I'll, I'll tell you like one instant that just occurred with Killer Witches. We were lucky enough to get a name in the film. So we were able to pull a gentleman out of Hawaii. His name is um, Branscombe Richmond. And so he was in TV shows like Renegade and Nice. He's been around along. He's got like 200 plus titles. Nice. And he, so he just shook hands and saying, you know, kind of invited him as like a co-producer type to, you know, just kind of solidify his trip from Maui all the way out here. Right. So Michael had to, we could, we already in production. The, all the parts were filled. We couldn't, we couldn't write him in, in other words. So we had to add scenes and that, Michael kind of took that on and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write vignettes into the movie. And what you don't want to do is just put them into the beginning and the end and make them disappear. So he had to creatively figure out beginning, you know, you know, 15 minutes in and 30 minutes in, and then an out point to right. make people, if they're going to buy the film eventually. Right. 
or watch it that they'd be i think the worst thing you can do is put a name actor in and kill him off in the first minute yep yeah so he designed something where we filmed them all in one day out in somewhere out here in rural colorado area um not too rural but came out we filmed it with the kids and him he had a really unique like i'll share some of these pictures with you it's pretty cool stuff sweet yeah it all worked out michael did a good job at you know throwing in a brand new portion of the script in like less than two days nice that's cool it's 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 good to be able to surround yourself with incredibly resourceful individuals and talent um yeah, that's that's always a plus. You know, people that you can depend on to to help you know create this this art, and, and that's the thing with these things, they're massive group projects. There, it's not just one person, right? Like with Heath, Heath is learning now. He's learning because he used to just act it, right? Right. And there were some talks we had where he kind of got down. Like a one, it's like four years ago. He's I say, hey, what's up, bud? Because he's peppy. I don't know. Yeah. You know, he's always happy. Yep. And he was like, I, I don't know, this whole thing with this movie stuff, man. It's like I build myself up and it just fades. Mm. And a lot of films do fade. They you make, you know, it's all grouped together, watch it, and then oh, we're gonna make deals and we're gonna go here and there, and then it just kind of fades. Yeah. And then um he started I started poisoning him <laughs> with the reality of film, right? Um, right. And then he started learning more of the production end of it. So now he gets it. Yeah. Michael gets it. The more we do it, the more we become like business. It can be a a bad thing too, because you be, you know, you maybe become one of those grumpy pipe smoking guys go, where you a grumpy gus. Yeah, it's like ah. Profits are down, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> Buy, sell. Rah, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's cool stuff. You're right about that whole team thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I, I think, uh, yeah, either Heath is uh, calling me an ass producer or that's what his future title wants to be. I, I can't discern what, what he's actually uh, putting out there. Everybody wants to be a producer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, you know, and it, it's kind of weird when I bring this up Yeah, is when you're doing favors, right? You're shopping favors to do a film, right? You get a lot of donated time. So yep. what holds value is stardom, right? Because you don't have cash. Heath has said the best thing you can do <clears throat> on a movie set is feed people. And I agree with that. Yep. I, I do too. Uh, the other part is. I used to just throw titles out and it's easy, right? right. I'll give you producer. Right. Got, yeah. I'll give you a producer and I'll give you this and that. And all of a sudden you have 30 producers. Right. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is I think when you get into film, really understand what those put people to work. So if they're throwing their sweat equity, just like you are going to, Mm-hmm is to hold the value of those titles. Say, if you're going to be a producer, what are you doing as a producer? Right. Or what, you know, if you're a cinematographer, you're not the guy just looking at what we're doing. You're actually holding a camera and filming it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people get angry because they want status. And the problem with giving away those titles, 
pisses everybody else off because it's like, mm. wow, I did a lot more than this guy. Why is he becoming, you know, this, you got to be careful when you get like free doesn't mean easy, you know? Yeah. No, not at all. Um, wow. Uh, Milko, uh, I kind of let uh, time, uh, you know, burn away where we actually uh, are now well into the one hour mark. So uh, I, I really enjoyed, you know, talking to you. Can you, uh, yeah, tell everybody, uh, yeah, it's tuning in right now where they can go to, you know, follow your work and uh, learn more about you know, what's coming out. Um, yeah, right now, I'd say the best official source is IMDb. Cool. <clears throat> um, I don't really have a website or anything. I think, like I said, I'm at a graduating point in my career mm-hmm. where I think, uh, like starting with Ghosters they're they're going to move forward so right now imdb cool imdb all right uh and then uh you know kathy you're there in the background uh you know are you on imdb as well no i'm not (laughs) but you'll just see my name under the casting okay excellent excellent and uh you know uh heat's in the the you know just hot on the comment section uh you can find him on imdb too Yes, for sure. Go. <laughs> so, and and uh, you know, when do you think uh, you'll be finished with the 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 witches movie? So here, I'm going to stay in touch with you. Okay. Um, we're foreseeing that it'll be done in July. Sweet. And I know every time we make a movie, we this is kind of like a ritual for us. Yeah. We will take that movie and we'll, we'll rent out space at a theater and we're, we're going to do it up with the posters and everything and get everybody who's involved and even their friends and family to come and see it. So we do that all the time. So I expect that in July, we'd be able to do that and cool. um, maybe talk to you guys and have you come down, check it oh, out. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. And then the beginning of the campaigning of trying to get that signed over. Cool. Uh, to get it, you know, streamed wherever. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know, when you guys are ready, let's let's have you back on. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, have, uh, you know, cameras uh, going so that uh, so that we can we can see your 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 handsome faces. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Next one, we'll have some video, right? Right, right. Instead. Yeah, right now, it's it's the voice of God in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but okay. yeah. isn't that what a director is? You know, just kidding. They say, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I highly suggest if any filmmaker out there, I think that uh, they, you know, for bodybuilders, there's a video mm-hmm. called Pumping Iron. Yep. With Arnie I, and, and Lou Ferrigno too. Yeah. And uh, I think for any filmmaker out there, and I know time's running short here, so I'm going to plug this because I thought, the Fableman is the perfect movie if you are an actor, director. It is has the essence of everything that builds our interest in film is 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 in that movie. Okay, it's an awesome film to nice. to kind of throw your interest in a direction and say, hey, I I kind of resonate with that. Yeah. I see similarities. So, Google. Nice. Well, uh, you know, uh, Milko and and uh, Kathy, it was it was great. Yeah, having you on and and learning more about uh, you know the things that you uh, um, you you're working on, 
and have done, but also, you know, the challenges that you've come across. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. We really appreciate you. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, uh, you as well, uh, being, you know, being so generous with your time, uh, stick around for a few minutes while we sign off, but, uh, you know, to everybody that tuned in, uh, thanks so much for, for tuning in and, you know, uh, listening in and, and, uh, participating with us in the comment section. I'm pretty sure Heath is just commenting a mile a minute at the moment. He just keeps popping them off. Um, anyway, but, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And uh, you know, make sure to go on to IMDb and and follow uh, you know Milko and and uh, you know the projects uh, that he's done and are coming out too. Uh, there's no stopping independent filmmaking. <laughs> yes, awesome. Yeah, and of course, you know, somebody's as caffeinated as I am. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, I, I want to remark, uh, Heath Hines. See, uh, other people drink coffee at night as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Heath. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. Thanks to everybody uh, uh, that tuned in, and uh, of course to our sponsors, to Mutiny Information Cafe. If you're going to start a revolution, uh, make sure you're caffeinated, just like uh, how what we've been talking about here. You know? <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, and then to Hellfire Entertainment. Thanks for rebroadcasting us on your social media and to Groovy TV. And our friends at Alien Donut Pictures at Films. Sorry, uh, Bill and Angela over there. And, of course, uh, our friends, our producers, uh, Lily Fisher, Amanda Armstrong, and Stefan Santa Cruz. And uh, to everybody that, that tuned in, thanks so much, guys. Uh, be good, be kind, help each other uh, through these hard times. And, of course, stay spooky. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Make sure to check out our Facebook and website for the updates on Colorado Festival of Horror, September 15th through the 17th.